We started this podcast as a simple commitment between Casper and me. Once a week, we would sit in a room and treat Harry Potter as sacred, even if no one showed up. Now, we have 70,000 listeners we never could have imagined. We also now have Maggie, who makes sure that all of our local groups feel supported. We have Megan, who makes sure that we behave with integrity in the world. We have Chelsea, who produces the women of Harry Potter. And we have Ariana, who makes sure that every episode, every live show, everything we put out into the world is done to the highest possible standard. We make sure that we pay all of them a living wage. We are trying to be the change we want to see in the world. We are trying to only use fair trade merchandise products to give health care to all of our employees and pay time off. We are trying to save in order to plant a tree for every flight that we take. And we cannot be the company that every company should be without your support. With 70,000 listeners and 1,300 supporters on Patreon, that means that 2% of you support us on Patreon, and we are so grateful for your support. But we want to make it 3% of our listeners who support us on Patreon, which would mean 2,100 supporters. For $1 a month, you get an extra few minutes of bloopers. That's $1 a month for the feeling of being in the top 3% of our listeners. That level of success would even make Hermione happy. So join us. Be part of the top 3%. Join Casper and me in that room that gets more and more filled the more of you show up. We are so grateful that you are part of this community. I'd have sat in that room with Casper alone gladly, but I love having you here. Chapter 17 The Heir of Slytherin He was standing at the end of a very long, dimly lit chamber. Towering stone pillars entwined with more carved serpents rose to support a ceiling lost in darkness, casting long black shadows through the odd greenish gloom. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. On the morning of Tuesday, November 7th, 2016, I had breakfast with one of my best friends and her two-and-a-half-year-old. And the very last thing I did before I left that morning was I kissed her two-and-a-half-year-old goodbye, and I said, next time I see you, we're going to have our first woman president. And I was just so proud and excited to, like, have helped give that to her. And all day, I was just on cloud nine. I went and bought the most expensive bottle of champagne I've ever bought in my life. And I was like vibrating with excitement. And then that night, we watched the election results come in while the champagne was chilling in the fridge for us to celebrate later. And the results came in, and we didn't elect the first woman president. And one of the really like strong contributing factors was that women who look and are educated, just like me, did not vote to get the first woman president. And I felt absolutely heartbroken by that fact. I felt all of the things that I've felt in romantic heartbreaks, which is a sense of betrayal for promises broken, a sense of, did I ever really know you? (laughs) 
And I felt like now, because of this heartbreak, there were promises that I wasn't going to be able to keep. I had said to this little girl, the next time I see you, we're going to live in a different world. And I wasn't able to keep that promise to her. And I was reminded of that specific heartbreak reading this chapter. In the moment when Tom Riddle says to Harry, you and I are very similar. We both have muggle-born parents. We both speak parcel tongue. We even look the same. And Harry is really revolted by that, by the similarities in someone who he feels in terms of his values are so different from him. And Harry gets his heart broken in this chapter. He realizes all of the ways in which he's been betrayed by the promises of Hogwarts and being a part of the wizarding world. I was reminded of that sense of, oh, it's people who look just like me who are out there and not fighting the same fight as I am. And I misunderstood what I thought I was a part of. And, you know, heartbreak is something that we all experience. And I think we see it in this chapter in all sorts of different ways. So I'm looking forward to learning about heartbreak and the productive aspects of heartbreak with you today, Casper. I wish there was a way to live without having to experience heartbreak. I I think maybe good things come from it. And that's my goal for today is to figure out, because there's no way to avoid it. Let's try to make something good come from it. Maybe Fox will arrive with a hat anytime. I love Fox. Well, since we're talking about the story, shall we do our 30-second recap? We should, because you get to start. Oh, boy. On your mark. Get set. Go. So Harry walks into the Chamber of Secrets, and it's gloomy and weird, and um, he's worried because the basilisk might come at any moment, so he's kind of hiding his eyes. And then um, he sees Ginny lying, and he runs up to Ginny, and he throws his wand aside. Fool! And um, Riddle then appears, and it's like, ha-ha, it's me. I'm your friend. But I'm not Tom Marvolo Riddle. I am Lord Voldemort. And then he calls out the basilisk, and Harry is like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And then Forks comes, and um, eyes go, uh, sword into mouth, collapse, fang into diary. Um, Ginny revives back up with uh, Ron. (laughs) That was pretty good. I felt like I really moved the plot along there. I lost some of my descriptive power. I'm really nervous about this chapter because so much happens. There's a lot of reveals. Yes. Are you ready for yours? No, but I'll go anyway. Here goes nothing. Three, two, one, go. Harry finds Ginny in the Chamber of Secrets. She's still alive, but barely. Tom Riddle comes and starts explaining everything to Harry. I'm Voldemort. Um, uh, Riddle calls the Basilisk and is like, kill him. He's not as special as I thought he was. Um, Harry gets hit by the basilisk, um, but then Fox comes with the sort of Gryffindor. So um, he kills the basilisk and then he stabs with the fang of the basilisk. He stabs the diary and he takes um, Ginny with him and Ron and Lockhart all get saved by Fox and they go back up. You know what I love most about this chapter? How the ink explodes out of the diary and just like seeps everywhere. It's so descriptive. Also, you know, details like Harry almost dies, Fox cries and saves his life, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I love that he's like, is this what dying feels like? Because I feel great. <laughs> no, this is what magical bird's tears healing you feel like. <laughs> it's hard to remember the difference. <laughs> Let's dig into the text. Where did you see heartbreak this week? So one of the key places that I saw heartbreak was in Ginny's realization that Tom Riddle has betrayed her. She has like really formed an intimate relationship with this person. She has shared her deepest secrets to him, and it turns out that he was just using her. 
that's the worst case scenario with heartbreak, right? Where you find out that someone has just been instrumentalizing you and objectifying you. I mean, that is my worst fear, right, is to find out that somebody's relationship with me is inauthentic. And that is the quickest way to get me to spiral is to be like, oh, Casper doesn't really love me. Who else doesn't really love me? Maybe my mom doesn't really love me. Maybe apples aren't really delicious. Like, it is amazing how quickly after a betrayal like that, I can begin to question everything, which to me is one of the, like, markers of real heartbreak is that it seeps into every part of your life. Yeah, it's the ultimate kind of act of vulnerability gone wrong. The text says she opened her heart and spilled all her secrets to an invisible stranger. And, you know, in our culture, we talk a lot about vulnerability and it's important to share who you are. And But it comes with risks. It comes with real risks. And Ginny has risked and it has not paid off. Yeah, it is heartbreaking. That is the word that this relationship has kind of turned so manipulative and horrible. I mean, even the way that we find out about the extent of her vulnerability is just like furthering the heartbreak because it's in Tom Riddle mocking her vulnerability. He is explaining to Harry, you know, like unfolding the way evil guys do at the ends of things. This is everything that happened and how it happened. So Riddle says to Harry, it took a very long time for stupid little Ginny to stop trusting her diary. He's like mocking her trust. It's just like the worst thing. I don't even like pranks because I'm like, oh, you're laughing at the fact that I trusted you. Charming. Right. This is manipulative, nasty, premeditated using. There was never anything there. That's what's so terrifying about this feeling of heartbreak is that, you know, what you thought was real was an illusion and you're a fool. How do you make sense of that? You can't. I mean, the only way to make sense of it is to say that the other person is the actual fool for not having any real values or backbone, right? You've done nothing wrong. You presumed trustworthiness. You presumed honesty. Like, there's nothing wrong in what you did there. And that, to me, is the only lesson to be learned. It's the person who breaks the trust who is the one who has caused the rift. It's not the trusting person who has messed up. And I do think what's powerful about this chapter is that we see little hints that the person who's purposely done something wrong, right, Tom Riddle in this case, is not completely satisfied by what he's done. You know, for him, this kind of abduction of Ginny is a strategy to get to Harry Potter, right? That's what he wants. But when Harry is talking about the way that he was saved, the fact that his mother's love has protected him. You know, the text says, all the time he spoke, Riddle's eyes never left Harry's face. There was an almost hungry look in them. And one reading of that could be, you know, he's hungry to kill him or he's hungry for that life spirit, which is going to build Voldemort's life force again. But I also think there's something of like, you know, he doesn't understand love. We know that. And so there's, I don't know, there's something... That struck me reading at this time that even though he's been a masterful planner, he's still hungry for something that he cannot reach. Also, he was hungry for the information that he lost to Harry because Harry was somehow inherently better than him. And then it's like, I've been suffering for the last 12 years because your mom loved you. And like the disappointment of that. And I absolutely agree with you. I think 
you know, if you set these very specific shallow goals, it never feels like enough. You're never going to have that satisfying moment of having accomplished something. It has to be about something else in order to be satisfying. So this is where it gets really complicated for me because, you know, when we think about Harry and his mother, I can't help but think of Tom and his mother. And we know that she is a woman who is scorned and is maligned and from birth is abused. And so there is this kind of intergenerational story of suffering. And in many ways, at least Tom's early years, I cannot blame him. I can't. What he chooses to do later, different story. But at the age that Harry is now, right, age 12, at that point, could we blame Tom for the way he is? I don't think so. I agree with you. Look, if Tom had been sort of a bully all through high school at Hogwarts, that's not okay. But I think that if he had somehow redeemed himself, we would have forgiven him. I mean, just like Dumbledore, right? Dumbledore was going down the wrong path with some like wizard exceptionalism thing with Grindelwald. But because he committed his life to being good, we completely forgive him. So it is through the lens of knowing how Voldemort turned out that we judge Tom Riddle. I also want to think about this kind of meeting face-to-face of Harry and Tom, because we've seen Heartbreak and Ginny. Harry is also heartbroken, no doubt, right? The memory of his mother is back. The loss of his friend who thinks Ginny is dying, he thinks he's going to die. And then we have this image of, of Voldemort embodied in this memory of Tom Riddle. And it's not so much heartbreak that he's feeling, but it's it's literally a soul break, right? A piece of Voldemort's soul is in this diary. He's broken it apart into these different pieces, and it lives in this Horcrux. And it made me think about, is there a difference between heartbreak, which perhaps with time can mend, and soul break, which is forever? That's not a phrase that we use a lot, but I don't know. I just really like that image, that there is a difference. Does, does that make sense to you? It does. I I like the distinction between heartbreak and soul break. A heartbreak, I feel like, is when you're betrayed either by circumstance or another person. And soul break is where you sort of betray yourself in some fundamental way. I love that. I disagree with the idea that heartbreak is more healable than soul break because there's the heartbreak of like losing a child. And I'm not sure that that is always a heartbreak that heals. I mean, also like Tom Riddle's Soul doesn't break. He rips it. So there's also something about that. I mean, heartbreak is dangerous. Broken trust turns the sadness into a sourness, right? Like, because then you can't trust yourself. Like, that's what's so powerful about someone else breaking your trust. Then you're like, well, why did I trust them in the first place? Like, I'm not able to make rational decisions, right? And then you go down the spiral, which 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 you've described. So if we think about it this way, Ginny is going to have to do so much healing before she is going to trust herself again to to be vulnerable in the way that she was with Tom. And, you know, I think that's something that is completely changing the way I'm going to read her romance with Harry. You know, the fierceness that she has towards the the fierceness that she has in the world is absolutely related to this experience. Like she is not letting anyone, she's going to fight. And I think the reason why she and Harry end up together, which I never really wanted in the books, but now I get it, is because she had already opened her heart to Harry before this experience. He's the only one who understands and who she has always loved. It's totally changing my reading of Ginny. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Quip. 
Harry Potter and the Sacred Text listeners, I don't want to scare you, but three members of the Not Sorry Productions team have recently lost a tooth. Now, none of this was because of bad brushing. It was because of accidents that happened. But I am concerned about people who love Harry Potter and their teeth. Quips Electric Toothbrush can help you in your routine of keeping your teeth healthy and sparkling clean. The mirror mount for your Quip toothbrush puts brushing front and center in your bathroom, so you'll remember to bookend the day using your new brush. The built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides and help you clean your whole mouth makes sure that you brush for the entire two minutes. The multi-use cover is amazing, it works as a stand, and also helps with sanitary reasons. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule of every three months for just $5. A friendly reminder as to when it's time to refresh and stay committed to your oral health. Please, this is a public service announcement from somebody who has all of her teeth and who loves a lot of people who have recently lost one tooth. Brush your teeth. Quip makes it easy and fun to brush your teeth, and that is why I love Quip and why it's perfect for getting back into a routine after the summer. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash Harry Potter right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash Harry Potter. My brother and sister-in-law have a fig tree, and it makes me sad because I live 3,000 miles away from the fig tree, and I love figs. I think they are like proof of a higher being. Now I resent them less because due to Fleur's amazing Hanami scent, I get to smell like the fig tree. They make stunning non-toxic perfumes and they list all of their ingredients online. You get a good scent made with clean ingredients. And the sample process is just good old fun. Here at Harry Potter and Sacred Text, we actually got to put together our own floor sample set filled with our favorite scents. So if you're not sure where to start, make sure that you check that out. And definitely try to smell like my brother and sister-in-law's fig tree with the Hanami scent. Then when I meet you, I'll love you more because you'll smell like home. Go to Fleur.com slash Harry Potter today to check out our curated sample set and get 20% off of your first custom Fleur sample set. That's P-H-L-U-R dot com slash Harry Potter to get your first three Fleur fragrance samples at 20% off. Fleur.com slash Harry Potter. I feel like there's such a parallel between the fact that Hermione has this near-death experience with the troll and that makes her brave and Ginny has this near-death experience and that invigorates her. I don't know. I feel like there's an argument that like heartbreak or like something that shakes you to your soul can give you a lot of resolve. I mean, we even think about that, right? Like your first heartbreak, your first love, like that's when you really understand what life is about because you've tasted the joy and the suffering, right? Like it's kind of a maturation moment when you when your heart has been broken, you've seen an element of the world that if you don't see it, you don't really understand. I guess I just still hold out hope. And I mean, please crush my hope because I feel like this is so naive, but Part of me still thinks that there's a way to be a mature, full human who, like, meets your soulmate in kindergarten and stays with them forever and never breaks up 
and, you know, you have healthy children who live their full lives and their parents die, like, late in life. Like, there's some idealized way of walking through this earth. And I would like to go on record that I know zero people who have lived this life. But I don't know. That's the counter narrative I carry, right? And this other version of myself who's never experienced heartbreak is just as wise and capable as I am who have experienced pain. I mean, I get that, you know, we don't want to believe that pain is necessary. But I think the fact that neither of us know anyone who's lived that life, and we know a lot of people. <laughs> I, I just, I think it's a, it's, it's a story we tell ourselves. But it's also, I do think that unless we've known sadness, joy cannot, shine as brightly as it does in our experience. I think there's something to knowing the bitterness of the bittersweet nature of life that makes the sweetness all the more meaningful. You're not worried that that's something we tell ourselves to make meaning out of the bitterness? But what else is there to do with it? Yeah, I just, I think I could still enjoy chocolate cake without knowing what a kale salad with no dressing tastes like. Vanessa, the other thing is that Unless our heart has been broken, we don't know our own capacity to break other people's hearts. There's something about feeling that pain that makes us more careful with how we treat other people that we, you know, we see the signs of a love that is not requited. And and if we're smart, we'll pull back and we won't let it grow. I mean, I remember when I was much younger, I, I was reckless with someone's heart. And I regret that enormously because I should have known better because someone had been reckless with mine. So I think maybe heartbreak is a tool for empathy. Yes. And I think a moment that shows this beautifully is in wondering why Fox cries. So Harry gets mortally wounded and Fox is near Harry and starts crying. We know that Fox is a phoenix. His tears have healing powers. But I wonder if Fox knows that or if he is actually worried that he came here to help Harry and has failed? Like, is he crying as a tool because he knows he can heal Harry? Or is he, is he heartbroken? And then that heartbreak literally heals Harry. And even if it's just symbolic, like, that's still beautiful, right? Like, crying is a healing mechanism, physically, emotionally, perhaps spiritually, right? There, there are all sorts of rituals around kind of ritual crying, around mourning. And I think illustratively, Riddle doesn't remember that Phoenix tears can heal. His own memory will not accept that love can save us. I, I just think that's so symbolic. Me too. This is the first time in reading the text that Fox has meant something to me. And I just, I think that there's an endless amount to excavate in him. I mean, he's also an embodiment of Dumbledore's love for his students, and Harry just gets saved again and again by love. Yeah, it's a beautiful moment. Casper, now is the time where we get to do one last Lectio Divina for this season. Are you ready? I love Lectio Divina. (laughs) So I've picked a sentence for us. And just to remind our listeners, Lectio Divina is a practice of believing that the more attention that we can pay to a word or a sentence in the text, the more gifts it will give us. And so we go through a four-step process, which we will guide you through. 
The sentence that I just happened to put my thumb on is, Harry was thinking fast, weighing his chances. So Casper, step one, where are we in the text? I feel like it could be in a number of places. (laughs) Um, Can you tell me? Yes. I can't. I wouldn't know either. So what happens right before is um, Riddle is confronting Harry and Riddle has said, how did you survive? Tell me everything. The longer you talk, the longer you stay alive. And then the response is the sentence that we'll be using, which is Harry was thinking fast, weighing his chances. So that is step one of Lectio. Step two, allegory. So Um, We want to draw in other stories or other parts of the text for this in order to enrich the sentence that we have before us. So allegorically, what does this sentence remind you of? Harry was thinking fast, weighing his chances. It it makes me think of, you know, the statue of justice that kind of weighs a pair of scales. Harry is trying to think about different options. It also reminds me of Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, where we have this kind of, you know, rational brain that takes a little while to come to a conclusion, but also these instinctual ways of responding. And Harry here is, I mean, he is thinking fast, but he doesn't have time to think. Like, this is a an intuitive response, which literally happens, right? We, we respond from putting our hand on the oven. You know, we pull that away before we even feel the heat. We shout in pain after we've pulled it away. So there's a, there's a very physical response here. And it says something that Harry, you know, his instinct is always to strategize. Like he's always planning. He's always, even in this moment where he really thinks he's about to die, he's still coming up with ideas. And it also reminds me of the Hodja Nasruddin, who's this wonderful kind of, I mean, it's a Persian folktale of this rascally man who gets himself into all sorts of tight corners, but always manages to get out of it. So there's this kind of elemental adventurous story that we're seeing here. This is the fun thing about this practice, right? Like our brains go to places that rationally doesn't make sense, but you never know what you'll find. What about you? So I think because of the weighing his chances, I'm reminded of the story of King Solomon. Two women come to King Solomon asking him to adjudicate a case in which both of them are saying this baby, this alive baby is mine. This dead baby who they've brought also belongs to the other woman. And King Solomon, in order to figure out whose baby it really is, says, well, I'll cut the baby in half and then you can each split the baby. And the story goes that the actual biological mother said, no, 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 she can have the baby. And that's how King Solomon knew that it was hers, that the actual mother would never allow her baby to be killed and would rather give it away. And now it's an expression that gets misused all the time of cut the baby in half. And people say it when they mean, like, I'll give each of you a little bit of something. But King Solomon wasn't actually going to cut the baby in half, right? This was a strategy. And I mean, Solomon, this is like a risky move that pays off. And I feel like those are the kinds of stakes that Harry is dealing with right now. He, you know, in the next few sentences, he like is like, okay, what do I have by my side? I have the sorting hat. I have Fox. That's not enough, but still uses his wits in order to get him through. The other thing that strikes me about this sentence, chances, right? There's something about gambling. There's something reckless about it. Harry has come to Hogwarts with nobody. The Dursleys don't care for him. He knows that. 
I wonder if because he doesn't feel connected to a family in the way that Ron does, for example, that he feels able to be more reckless, that he is willing to take chances that other children in the school aren't. Yeah, especially because he must also feel – I mean, like, Ginny's life is in the balance, right? And so I, I think that Harry probably would be willing to sacrifice himself for Ginny because so many more people, from his point of view, care about Ginny than him. So there are a lot of things to weigh for this, like, poor little boy. And also, if he doesn't save her, can he really expect to be part of the Weasley family again? Yeah. I don't know. I just have to think that's part of what's going on for him in that moment. Yeah. There's so much for him to weigh in this moment. So, Casper, now we're at step three, which is asking us, what does this sentence remind you of in your own life? And the sentence one more time is, Harry was thinking fast, weighing his chances. This is maybe a bit of a stretch, but just the word weighing kind of <laughs> made me think of those moments when you haven't been on, you know, a scale for a while. Maybe you haven't been feeling super good about yourself. And it feels risky to get on the scale because you're going to get a number and you don't always like what it's going to tell you. I don't know. I feel like it reminds me of the the risk to confront something that I maybe don't want to see when I'm weighing myself. How about you, Vanessa? I am thinking about the times that I think fast. And what happens is I'm very good at thinking fast, but I empathize slow. So when I'm in a situation in which I have to think fast, I can be very mean and I can rattle things off very quickly. But so what I find myself having to do is when I'm thinking fast, check in with my gut and catch myself and be like, is that something that you're going to want to have said in five minutes? But yeah, when, when I feel attacked, my brain and my mouth, they do just fine. It's my heart and my gut that take a while I mean, overshare. I just apologized to Casper for something I did six months ago. Like, that's how long it takes me to process things. Step four, Casper, are you ready? Yes. What does this sentence, Harry was thinking fast, weighing his chances, call you to? I think like so many of us in this moment... I'm thinking about, like, what should I do civically? You know, how should I respond to things that I see that I, I, I disagree with and that upset me and that are dangerous, I think. And I think we have to respond both fast and slow in that I want to be thoughtful and intentional and not just reactive and angry. I, I want to be strategic. But at the same time, like, we do need to mobilize quickly when something that really affronts our dignity happens it's a sort of dance. Like Harry, we, we need to be thinking fast and weighing our options constantly. And, and if we're just doing one, check in with ourselves and be a little more spacious. That's what I feel called to do. How about you? Yeah, in the same vein, I think that time management is one of the hardest things that I have to deal with because I'm a lucky person with too many wonderful things in my life. But I'm also someone who like needs downtime and needs to get to the gym So I think that that same thing of like weighing my chances of, okay, if I say no to this person, what does that mean? If I say yes to this and taking a minute to like breathe and strategize a little bit, I can often feel like a pinball in my own life that I like don't even know what my day is. I just look at my calendar and I go to the next thing and then I go to the next and then I answer the call. And I feel like if I stopped and weighed my chances a little bit 
more often. I would be choosing to go to things rather than just a victim of my own calendar. I like that. I'm a victim of my own calendar. (laughs) Which I set for myself. I'm like, I do that. (laughs) It's time for our voicemail. And this week we heard from Helen in New York. Hi, Vanessa and Casper. I'm Helen and I'm calling from New York. I wanted to bring back the topic of belonging, your theme from chapter 12. When I was in junior high school, I didn't have Harry Potter. I wish I had, but unfortunately, the books came out when I was in high school. I was born in Colombia. My grandmother is of African descent, which means my mother was rocking an afro in the 80s. So my hair is in between my dad's straighter hair and my mother's hair. We're this beautifully mixed race family, all from one country. When I first encountered Hermione's character, I was taken aback by the description of bushy hair meaning that I loved it. I was so surprised it was a character who sounded like me and was really studious, just like I was. Well, I still am. Sadly, it took me a while to accept my hair for what it was due to culture, people's comments about it, but mostly due to me. I guess I wasn't ready. I wore my hair a lot in a bun in high school. In my 20s, I did so much damage with the straight iron until finally in the last six years or so, I've really accepted my hair for what it is. It's curly, has volume, and I can say I truly believe it is beautiful. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that we all belong if we believe we belong. It has to start with us, especially now with what seems like a reversal of the progress we made as a country I just want to send a message to everyone out there, even those whose viewpoints I don't agree with. We are all beautiful for our differences, and we all belong to this country and to this world. And every little change has to start with us loving ourselves. Thank you, Vanessa and Casper, for adding such inspiration to my day. Thank you, Helen. Yes, I have learned to love curly hair also by getting to sit opposite Vanessa every day. So I'm so glad that you're enjoying the podcast. Thank you for sending in this beautiful message. Casper, do you want to start us in our blessings this week? My blessing is for Ron Weasley. Love him. Love him. There's this kind of collapse of rocks that stops him and Lockhart joining Harry. And Harry goes off to to face Voldemort and to rescue Ginny. And Ron, you know, it's his sister, By rights, he would be the one who should go. But here he is stuck behind these boulders, but he does not despair. He starts moving the rocks. And I think without those rocks being moved, Forks could never have got to Harry. Harry could never have come back. You know, Ginny might not have got back in time. Ron is so vital, even though, you know, we don't really celebrate the work he's done in this chapter. So this blessing is for anyone who is working hard behind the scenes, who is preparing the stage who is you know doing the work that needs to be done but isn't always celebrated so thank you for clearing the rocks everyone we need you how about you vanessa casper i know i blessed her just last week but i'm gonna bless Ginny weasley for just one moment that we didn't have the chance to talk about today um the moment i'm gonna bless her for is right when because ron has moved these rocks harry and Ginny are able to get to him And the moment in the text is, Ginny, Ron thrust an arm through the gap in the rock to pull her through first. You're alive. I don't believe it. What happened? 
He tried to hug her, but Jenny held him off, sobbing. And this, to me, just reminds me of people who are triggered by being touched by others and just the incredible trauma that Jenny has just gone through that she can't even let her brother hug her. And I think that there are sometimes moments when we're not ready to be comforted, and those can be incredibly dark and lonely and hard moments. And I just want to bless Jenny for that moment. And, you know, she's about to get upstairs and get a big hug from Mrs. Weasley. So there's hope just on the other side of that. But this blessing is for anybody who's in that moment where they're just not not ready to come out of the darkness. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you, Casper. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Next week, we'll read Chapter 18, Dobby's Reward, through the theme of love. We hope that'll be a good enough antidote to today's heartbreak. A quick reminder of our voicemail prompt. We'd love you to share stories about your own experience that help give us a new and deeper reading of the text. You can submit them by sending it to harrypottersacredtext at gmail.com. A special thanks this week to Claire Mulkey for giving us this week's theme. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text was produced by Ariana Nettleman, Casper Turkile, and Vanessa Sultan. Our social media coordinator is Jen Stark. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is part of the Panoply Network. You'll find ours and other great shows at panoply.fm. This week's voicemail is from Helen. Thank you so much for sending it in. Thank you also to Charlie and Rebecca Ledley and Stephanie Paulsell. We'll see you next week. I'm really excited for a psychiatrist to write in to us one day and be like, <laughs> guys, oh my God. I understand all the things. <laughs> yes. You're both crazy. Within the Wires is an immersive fiction podcast by Janina Mathewson and Night Vale co-creator Jeffrey Craner. Each season, we unfold a brand new story strictly via found audio from an alternate 20th century. Season 4, The Cradle, is a story about a mother and daughter as they attempt to lead a family-centric commune surviving on the fringes of society. Subscribe to Within the Wires at nightvalepresents.com or wherever you get your podcasts.